Coming up on this week's show, A.M. Arthur's here to talk about Cowboys, the Omegaverse, and more. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome, everyone, to episode 121 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. This week's episode is brought to you in part by listeners just like you. We will have more information on how you can help support this show in just a few moments. Welcome, everyone, back. Uh, Another week, another new episode of the podcast. We hope you had a terrific week. Uh, Got to read some terrific books by some of your favorite authors. Uh, We've been busy. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we've been busy. Are we ever not busy anymore? I feel like we're always busy. You're busier than me. I'm not. (laughs) So, I, yeah, I I got nothing to say to that. Uh, In writing land, it was another week of uh, writing. I did some writing on uh, Codename Winger number four. And we are revising the sequel to The Hockey Player's Heart, which we will turn in uh, in the coming week. Yay! Glad to have that done. Um, Also, we've continued to watch how The Hockey Player's Heart does in its release. Thank you to everyone who has picked it up. And thank you to everyone who has reviewed it uh, on all the various sites, whether it's Goodreads or Amazon or on the DreamSpender site or wherever you may have happened to have reviewed it. That is very much appreciated. Congratulations on a book that seems to be doing okay out in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all you can ask. That's right. You just hope you send that child off into the world and and it does pretty good. Yeah, that's right. So very happy about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oscar nominations came out this week. Yes, they did. Uh, If you've listened to this show in past Oscar years, we're kind of on the Oscars. But we will throw out a couple of bits of things that we liked to see. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, which we have yet to see because it hasn't shown up in our little neck of the woods. (sighs) I think your size sums it up very nicely (laughs) on that. (laughs) Uh, But it was nominated for Best Picture, uh, Best Actor for Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet, uh, Adapted Screenplay, which was written by James Ivory, and it also picked up a Best Song nomination. But speaking of the songs, very excited to see that Pasek and Paul got their second nomination in as many years uh, for the song This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Uh, also excited to hear that uh, Kella Settle, who sings that in the film, will actually be singing it on the Oscars. So good for her. Of course, they won last year for uh, City of Stars from La La Land. So yay for them. Um, interesting news out in the world this week in that uh, Kobo, who some of you may know, uh, a purveyor of ebooks and a, a huge proponent of the independent author uh, announced this week, along with Walmart, that they are going to go into Walmart stores later this year and become Walmart's official e-reader, as well as have a uh, co-branded store in, on Walmart.com for ebooks. Now, Kobo is pretty well known in, in Canada and gives Amazon a fair bit of com- competition up there, and they're also uh, worldwide. Uh, out there too, so it's interesting to see Kobo trying to make a make a stand in a U.S. store. Uh, and I, a couple of things came to mind as I read this news. First, Walmart is has has tended towards uh, a little bit of censorship in editing music that they sell and uh, being very curated in what they sell. So it'll be interesting if 
it's an entire Kobo offering or if Walmart uh, chooses to exclude titles from the store. Uh, it's also interesting in this era where uh, the Nook barely hangs on at Barnes & Noble as an e-reader that a new e-reader uh, is attempting to come into the marketplace. Um, yeah. And, oh, my, my other thought, there's been rumblings of Amazon wanting to buy Target in the same way that it bought Whole Foods earlier in the, or well, sometime last year they did that. And uh, what would the landscape look like if all the Targets suddenly had all of the Amazon uh, e-readers and Alexas and whatnot in those stores and what that could mean to the landscape? Um, interesting news and kind of unexpected, uh, I thought. Did you, what are your thoughts on, on the whole Kobo going into Walmart thing? Um, Kobo, which is owned by a Japanese company, Rakuten, is um, a terrific company. Uh, and like you said, they do have a global reach. Um, actually, truthfully, far more global than Amazon. That's very true. Um, so it, this is an interesting partnership, uh, and it will be interesting to see what it means uh, for the U.S. market. Um, I have my own misgivings about Walmart as a company in general. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. And that, that was that was very good. <laughs> we put our opinions trying, out there. Trying to be as diplomatic. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think there are good things and bad things about this particular announcement. And it'll just be interesting to see how it all shakes out in the coming months and years. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Okay, this is the time in the show where we like to thank our newest patrons. Callie, welcome to the Patreon family. Hello, Callie. Now, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, you can help pay for the cost of producing and distributing this podcast. For fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. Also, patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly to them, because we're always grateful. Now, any month that we have pledges that cover our monthly production costs will produce a bonus. I'm saying produce an awful lot. I'm, is, have I always said that many production produce? Anyway, okay. Um, let me finish my thought here. Okay. For any month that all of our production costs are met, we will create a special bonus episodes for our patrons. Um, the next bonus episode is coming up really quick. It's going to be releasing Valentine's Day week. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have any questions for us or any comments about what we have been doing here on the show, uh, please head on over to Patreon and give us your opinions or, mm -hmm. and, and or questions. Uh, we would love to hear from you. As always, you can get all of the details at our Patreon page. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Uh, come check us out. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? 
Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart at dreamspinnerpress.com, amazon.com, and other online book retailers. So you have a book that you want to tell everyone about. I do. Uh, I picked up another Reese Ford book. Uh, Audible had a had a delightful sale last week. It was it was Gail Carriger mm-hmm. uh, was one of my sale books, and Fishstick Fridays was the other in a nice Audible two for one opportunity. Yay! Uh, yeah, gotta love those when they show up in your email box. Um, so I, I mentioned when I picked up Rebel that I wanted to read more of, of Reese, and I, I'm, I'm glad I picked up Fishstick Fridays, which is actually the first of the Half Moon Bay mystery books. Uh, in this one, we've got Deacon Reed, who is your, your tough kind of rebel kind of lawbreaker who has been significantly tamed because he's gotten custody of his sister's daughter, Zig. Uh, his sister uh, was murdered, and Zig was put into Child Protective Services, and Deacon cleaned himself up. To be able to take take in his daughter, his his I guess that'd be a niece, I think at that point, uh, to take care of her, and they move to Half Moon Bay where he has done the 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 right thing to settle down and has bought himself an auto repair shop um, to to support him and Zig. Uh, shortly after he gets to town, he meets bookstore owner Lang Harris, who it turns out uh, is actually quite moneyed and owns a good chunk of this town. Uh, through his family's assets, but his family, he had a troubled family life and is estranged from them and uh, has quite a few little mysteries going on on his own. And uh, this being a mystery, and I've only said mystery about five times now (laughs) since I started this chat, uh, there is someone stalking uh, these folks. Uh, And for a while, it's, it's hard to say if it's Deacon and Zig who are being stalked or if it's Lang who's being stalked or potentially both. Uh, Reese does a delightful job of like giving you these clues and then uh, kind of pushing you and pulling you in different directions. And it's hard to to tell who you know where what the actual issue is here, or if there are multiple issues in play. Uh, the thing that I think I love most about this story, and there's so much to to dig in and really love here, is how Deacon is aware of his tough guy, bad boy, even exterior image and how he intimidates people and how he's really trying to control that so that Zig can find a proper life. Um, There's a point in the book where Zig has gotten into trouble at school and he has to go in and take care of this and he tries to not over-intimidate the school folks because he's aware of his size and his bulk and just his, his voice and he's trying to there are times where he tries to make himself smaller so that he's less intimidating to the people because he wants to fit into this community. He wants to make this good life for Zig. Um, Zig is an eight-year-old force of nature. Uh, In her combat boots and her purple tutus and her camo pants, um, she she loses her allowance by the quarter because she can't stop cussing, (laughs) which is a hoot. Um... And the interplay between her and Deacon, and then later on uh, adding Lang into that, is one of the most delightful parts of this book. Uh, in particular, the way that uh, Spencer Goss 
uh, voices Zig uh, just adds to her appeal as, as a character. Um, Lang also, um, I liked I liked so much about this book, as you could tell. Um, Lang finding uh, his path after a a disturbing uh, instance with a former boyfriend uh, and finding his way, not only being back in uh, Half Moon Bay and trying to make a life for himself, but then trying to bring Deacon and Zig into his life as well. Um, there's an interchange between Zig and, and Lang related to bacon and, and Lang's uh, like hoarding of the bacon, which is one of the most funny passages in the entire book. Uh, as usual, Reese does a sublime job with her characters, her setting, uh, the mystery element of the book. Um, the more I read of her, the more I want to read of her. It's very much like I, I read T.J. Klune and I want more T.J. Klune to just keep reading what they do in the in the different genres they operate in because Reese, like T.J., kind of spreads out the, the genres that she works in. So... Having, this is now my second Reese Ford book. There will be more that I have to pick up. Um, I already I, I noticed in Audible that uh, there's a second book in this series already, and I'm like, I kind of need that. <laughs> so I'll be moving on to that one shortly, I suspect. So, yeah. I think you would like this one, too. It's it's a nice mystery, suspense, romance. Um, oh, and one more thing I liked. Sorry. Her. There's several like instances here of of attacks on Zig and Lang and, and Deacon. And those are super tense. And I really felt like I was watching a movie there for a while because she writes it so well that it just, you could see exactly what's happening there. So I'll stop talking now. Reese Ford's Fish Stick Fridays picked that up because it was pretty darn awesome. Cool. Good. Awesome to hear about another fantastic book from Reese. Yeah. Um, we watched a movie yes, last night. Yes, we did. Um, last night we checked out the independent movie, uh, Do You Take This Man? It came out in 2016. Uh, and it is a super, super sweet, super thoughtful film. Um, it stars Anthony Rapp and Jonathan Bennett. They are a couple, and the movie takes place essentially in the 12 hours before their wedding day. And the sort of the tense, exciting atmosphere surrounding their rehearsal dinner. Uh, and how they interact with the friends and the family who come over to share a meal with them before their big day. Um, it's a sp relatively small movie, but it has a big impact. I especially liked the chemistry between uh, Bennett and Rapp. I thought they worked really well off together. I really um, felt like they were a genuine couple who had a genuine past together uh, and were kind of dealing with the stresses and expectation of what this wedding and the next chapter in their lives is going to be about. Mm -hmm. um, there was an exceptional supporting cast, uh, especially I want to mention Allison Hannigan um, as Rap's um, sister. Uh, she plays a character who's been uh, maybe knocked down a little bit by life, but she's not bitter. She's kind of realistic. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a really terrific scene where she sits down and talks to her brother after uh, Rap and Bennett kind of have a, a fight during dinner. And she kind of... Um, 
she she wants to give him hope, but she does it in a very pragmatic and realistic way. Uh, I thought she was really exceptional uh, in this. I mean, she's more than just the girl from American Pie or, or How I Met Your Mother. I, thought, yeah. I think she did a, a really terrific job. Actually, everyone in this movie was is really fantastic. Um, what did you think? I liked... I did like... Rap and Bennett's chemistry a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Anthony Rap anyway, because what redhead isn't? Um, but I don't. I haven't seen Jonathan Bennett really in anything other than Cupcake Wars in years, <laughs> and it was nice to see him uh, back on screen in, in, as an actor. Um, they were so good together. You believe that they'd been together for however long it took them to decide to get married. Uh, I really like the writing in this film. The the storytelling was quite exceptional. That scene that you mentioned between uh, Rap and Allison Hannigan was so well written because it not only not only was it her talking to her brother, but they solved issues for each other in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I really liked how that played out. Um, the message here too, or one of the messages, because there's a few that goes on in this movie, that couples don't always tell each other everything. And I don't think any couple tells each other everything all at once. I mean, there there was a big discussion around what information you kind of put out there, when you choose to put it out, do you hold it, do you put it out there, when's the right time to put it out there. And I think all couples go through that. Like, what's the important information to get out to make a decision? What's the important to hold back so that you get through an evening like the dinner? Um I found that really impactful, and I, I really thought overall the movie is really sweet, but it does have some nice uh, messages about coupledom. How's that for a word? Coupledom. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, highly recommend Do You Take This Man. It's streaming on Amazon right now, uh, so if you're a Prime member, you can pick that up pretty darn easily. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So one of the authors that we've discovered recently, who's actually been publishing for a long time, but we've only just started reading their books, uh, is A.M. Arthur. And we were able to get her onto the show. Uh, thanks to our patrons who actually kind of pointed the way to him uh, at the same time that you and I were going, hey, we should have A.M. Arthur on the show. It was kind of like everybody had the thought at the same time because mm-hmm. we had just come off of uh, of Wild Trail and I picked up Come What May and then the patrons were like, A.M. Arthur, A.M. Arthur. Um, she was a delight to speak with and we found out uh, we talked about Wild Trail and its upcoming sequel. We also talked about her Omegaverse books, uh, a couple of which have just come out. There's one that came out last week, there's, and there's one that's coming out this week, too. So, shall we get to that interview? Yes, we shall. Welcome, AM. Hi. It's nice to be here. I have to say, in your bio with the young writers, that just took me back to being a young, closeted guy in college and loving that show. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I was in young and young in high school, I think, when I first discovered that show on the Family Channel, and we would just binge watch it every single night. I absolutely loved the characters. Yeah, that was a fun and show. Was, so that helped. And I was, was disappointed to learn show. that it doesn't stream anywhere. <laughs> no, but it all is on DVD. 
I'm trying to avoid having to buy that. I have all seasons on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. So tell us about Wild Trail, which I imagine has has a root in that Young Riders uh, fan club of yours. Yeah, it does. I've always enjoyed the Old West. Um, and Wild Trail is, of course, the first series in a brand new cowboy romance that I published with Karina Press. Um, I've been publishing them with a couple, for a couple of years. And Wild Trail features a sassy city slicker named Wes who falls in love with a big bearded bear of a cowboy named Mac while Wes is on vacation at a dude ranch. Um, Wes is also there as the best person in his baby sister's upcoming wedding. He's worrying about his doll career as an actor and his best friend is being really secretive. Meanwhile, Mac is busy trying to save his small town from financial ruin while working on his aging father, grandfather's excuse me, ranch. But then once Mac and Wes meet, sexy shenanigans ensue. Kind of my elevator pitch for the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long elevator pitch, but it works. It totally works, and it, it describes it oh so well. What was the inspiration <laughs> for it? It was actually a joint brainstorm between myself and my editor at Karina. We both kind of wanted to branch me out a little bit from my previously interconnected series and try something a little more commercial. And I've, you know, as we talked about with the Young Riders, I've always been a fan of the Old West. Um, since I was a teenager, I used to do papers on it in school whenever we could do, you know, a history assignment or whatever we wanted. Um, and cowboy romances, you know, they've always been pop a popular trope. So while we were talking about the proposal, all I kept seeing in my head was the movie City Slickers. And I remember thinking to myself, what if Billy Crystal and Jack Palance's characters fell in love? And the story just kind of started spiraling out from there with, you know, the city slicker meets the grumpy cowboy idea for Wes and Mac, which kind of led to an opposite attract romance for book one. Um, and of course, both characters have friends and family. And Wild Trail, you meet Wes's best friend, Miles, as well as Mac's two best friends, Colt and Reyes. And those characters helped me lay the framework for books two and three in the series, which are second chance romances and a friends to lovers romance, respectively. Very cool. So you, you kind of hatched both the book and the series at the same time. Yeah, I, I kind of did. This this one in its own way, I guess, was setting it up so Mac had two best friends. It, it was kind of a given that they were going to each end up with a romance. The only question was, who were they going to end up with? Very cool. Can you give us a little sneak peek into what's coming in Roped In? <laughs> well, I can safely say that Roped In is the kinkiest book I've ever written, and the title is a big clue as to why. Mm. The titling worked out perfectly for the series. It really did. Uh, it's a second chance romance, as I said, between Max and Colt and Colt's ex-boyfriend, Avery. Colt and Avery have a very complicated history, which you learn a little bit about in Wild Trail. But when they meet again five years after having already been boyfriends, the chemistry is still there, as is the impulse to this uh, dumb sub-relationship that they also once shared. There's lots of rope work, some spanking, toy play, and a whole lot of soul-searching from both men as they try to learn how to make a long-distance relationship work. Because Avery's based in Los Angeles, while Colt works up near San Francisco. Mm -hmm. That sounds exciting. Like I said earlier, May will not get here fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I've already, <laughs> I have already see people begging to see the book. I'm like, I don't even have air seats yet. Soon, hopefully soon. <laughs> 
you you do seem to gravitate towards series. If I counted right on your website, you've got ten, and just two mm-hmm. standalone books to your credit. What draws you so much into series writing? It's always the characters, and a lot of times it's the location. I love, as a reader, I love reading series because of the interconnected characters and the way you get to see previous couples pop up and how they're doing after being together for a while. And you even get to see a lot of the same, you know, secondary characters pop in and out and get to know a little bit about them with every book. And you eventually, hopefully, if your author loves you enough, you get to see that special side character who really speaks to you, get their own happily ever after in their own book. Um, As an author, it's fun to create a world populated by various characters and to eventually see them all get there happily ever after. It's also a lot of fun to write a secondary character who's so vivid to a reader that they email or they message me and ask if so-and-so will ever get their own book because I really need their book. You know, that's just a fun thing for an author to hear. In its own way, it's kind of like treating a family, and a lot of my books have that sound family theme to them versus a lot of, you know, blood relatives. Uh, excuse me, blood relatives. <laughs> Oh, it's a tongue tangler. <laughs> and it's also, as I also previously mentioned location, it's fun to use that as a way to tie books together, too. Um, not just, you know, the central city, but also specific places. My Cost of Repairs series has Dixie Cup Diner. The Perspective series has a nightclub called Big Dicks. And my Wilmington books have a bar called Pot of Gold and a diner called Half Dozen. And the locations almost become characters of their own, so they're... Yeah, those are kind of the two of the things that draw me to writing series. Mm-hmm. And, and you do, you actually cross over your series as well. They do, yeah. They kind of spit off from each other a little bit because Cost of Repairs was my, it was my first series, my first published series, and then Perspective spun off from that, and then the Us series spun off from that. And again, with my Karina books, Belonging begat Restoration, which begat um, All Saints and... I, I do do that a lot, and it, it's fun for me, and it's fun for it's fun for my longtime readers too. Mm-hmm. I noticed that you uh, on your website actually have the preferred reading order, so you know how best to read the books that crisscross each other. Yes, yes. After I had enough people emailing me or messaging me or you know sending me notes on Goodreads about what order I should, I should read these books in, I was like, I need to do a page where I can just point to everybody. Instead of, you know, retyping my answer every time. Because <laughs> <laughs> it can get a little complicated, and especially last year where some of the series started crisscrossing in terms of release dates, so. Now, Jeff and I have mentioned um, our love for the beginning of your Clean Slate Ranch series, but, like, coming up just around the corner, the next book in your Breaking uh, Free series is about to be released. Yes, yes. Um, Found is the fourth book that in, in the series, and that comes out on Monday. Um, that was one of those unexpected books because I hadn't expected that particular alpha character to speak to me at all. He'd always just been a background character, but then there was a moment in Herd, which released last fall, that just kind of sparked the story. So I just kind of ran with it. That was that was a lot of fun to write, and it just it circled back way all the way back to book one too in a way, which was a lot of fun. What uh what initially, um, what was the initial inspiration for uh, this particular series? Uh, for which for for Wild Trail or Breaking Free? 
for for breaking free. I'm curious. Um, that one actually, I can contribute completely to a book called Slow Heat by Letta Blake. Oh yeah. She released that. Yes, she released that I believe back in May, and I originally wasn't really on my radar until I saw a review on Joyfully Jay's blog, and the review just I can't remember the exact wording, but she basically used words like trophy goodness and just. Everything about it spoke to me. So I was like, okay, well, this sounds really unique, something I haven't read before. And before then, um, you know, M. Craig, male pregnancy wasn't really something I enjoyed reading. You know, it was mostly seen in shifter books, and it just wasn't my cup of tea. But in Letta's story, there's a lot of science behind it because it's an all-male world. There are no women. So there's, you know, she scientifically explained in it how it came to be that some men were carriers and some men were not, and, you know, yada, yada. And I just was taken by that idea because I had never sat down and thought, well, how, you know, how would the world populate itself if it was all dudes? And I didn't want to directly copy, you know, her science, but I loved the idea of exploring that. And at the same time, you know, we were also you know, five or six months into the current uh, U.S. presidency, presidential administration, and I was, like a lot of people, feeling a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and I was able to really channel some of that into writing Saved and Seen in that I could kind of explore the power dynamics where the alpha, you know, would be the stronger, rougher, ruling class versus the omega characters, which are generally seen as lesser than, and just really kind of show a story where the trodden, downtrodden slowly start to get the voice back and rise back up. So that was, that was what really captured me and inspired a lot of the Breaking Free series. Yeah, I think people have fallen in love with these characters. I think it's obvious with the success of this particular series. Now, now for those of our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, can you briefly <laughs> explain what uh, an Omegaverse story is? Well, Omegaverse itself seems to have slightly tweaked definitions, kind of depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. But for my, my purposes, the definition of Omegaverse is a world in which Alpha, Omega, and Beta dynamics exist, and where M-Preg, male pregnancy, generally is a thing, but for me, it's a non-shifter world. So it's not like these are, you know, werewolves that have this impulse because they're werewolves. This is just part of the society. They're just they're regular human males that just happen to be able to get pregnant. Um, and for some, there's a lot of Omegaverse out there where this occurs in, you know, regular society where there are men and women. That's just not the route that I chose with my particular universe. Cool. I'll have to maybe pick yeah. those up, too, as I go more paranormal in some of my reading. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, I have, I, I, I'm on the fence about calling them paranormal because they're not spooky, but at the same time, you know, in norm, you know, Men don't, well, I don't want to, let me not phrase it that way. Um, you know, it's it's also sci- sort of sci-fi. Right. Yeah, I guess sci-fi might actually be a better term for it. You yeah. You write all over the spectrum, cowboys and this more sci-fi and then kind of your contemporary new adult with like All Saints. Is there... What kind of keeps you moving around place to place? And have you always written that way since you were like back scribbling down your childhood stories just all over the place? 
I guess I jump around so I don't get bored. And also, I just kind of go, I guess to use a cliche, I kind of go where the muse takes me. Um, you know, for example, I never planned to write Omegaverse. I, it was not even a thought in my mind until I read Letta Blake's book. And then suddenly my entire June and half of July was writing these first two books. It was just, I couldn't not do it, but it was totally not my plan. Um, and with, you know, things like writing the, the new adult stories and belonging or in the all saints, that's again, just kind of where at the time I was, my brain decided I was going to write that age group. Um, I don't, I guess I've always, always have kind of written that way, even when I was a kid, because I would bounce from, you know, writing a post-apocalyptic short story to writing a story about the Pony Express, you know, just kind of whatever captured my attention. And that's, you know, for me, that's what leads to really good writing word days, because I do this full-time now. I have for um, for two years, yeah, two, wow, two years. So I have all day to really just sit, out, sit down and bang out words, and if I kind of go where my brain wants to go, then the words come out. If I try to force something that I'm not feeling, it's not going to happen quite as easily. Mm -hmm. Does this also mean you have multiple projects in progress at the same time, or are you at least able to get through a single book before you hop over somewhere else? I do have multiple projects going at the same time. I don't like, excuse me, I don't like to, (laughs) but at the same, like, I will get an idea in my head and it's like, oh, that's so interesting. Let me play with these characters and I'll sit down and I'll write a chapter or two. And then my brain just kind of stalls. And I always seem to have this problem at around ten to 16,000 words where I'm like, where am I actually going with this story? <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I'll fight through it and I'll actually finish. Sometimes I'll just kind of put it aside because it's not quite the right time. And that's actually been very beneficial for me in the past because I had initially started writing what I was, supposed to, I was planning on it being cost of repairs number six. And I started writing that, I want to say a little over two years ago. And I got about a chapter and a half in and the book just stopped. Um, couldn't figure it out. So I put it aside and I put it aside for over a year before I was talking, I think I was talking with a reader about another book and she made a comment about another character peripheral to that series. And it just clicked that it was missing a third hero. And that actually book eventually became Here for Us, which was my uh, menage romance that came out last summer. No, no, that came out in April. I can't keep anything straight anymore. It's too many books. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so sometimes starting something and then putting it away can actually help in the long run because I'm just I'm waiting to really understand what that book was missing so I can finally finish it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you might also be a pantser over a plotter. I, I call myself a planter, actually. <laughs> okay. I will, I, will plot to a, I will plot to a certain extent. Like, for example, um, what was the last book I wrote? Like, I, I will get to a certain point in the book where I kind of need a, to see a few steps forward from where I am. Like, I could be on Chapter 3, but I don't have a clear idea of where I'm going, so I will pull out a, an outline or open up a new Word document, and I'll just kind of play around and see, okay, well, what if this character goes here, and they talk to that character, and then they realize this about them, and it'll get me three or four scenes ahead of where I am now, so then I'm able to stop the outline and go back, write those scenes, 
and then I'll either kind of plow through or I'll maybe have to stop and do a little bit more outlining. But I very rarely will sit down and outline a book, you know, from A to Z. It just, be, I mean, even if I do, on the rare occasion I have done that, outlines are very fluid, they're very flexible, and I will change things. Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not a blueprint, it's just kind of a general roadmap idea, but I can still go north, south, east, or west at leisure. Nice. Now, it's mentioned that uh, K.A. Mitchell's Chasing Smoke was your first gay romance to read. How did you come upon that, and and what drew you into that? I initially found the book, um, it was being reviewed on Dear Author, and that was the first time I remember seeing an NM romance reviewed on what was, at the time, a very popular and semi-mainstream romance review site. And I just... I. I remember, you know, I decided to read the review. I'm like, what's an NM romance? I didn't know what that was. But it had a really positive review. And then I went searching for other other books by her. And I, my mind was kind of blown. Because back then, I only really knew, you know, about slash fan fiction. And when I say back then, this is back in 2010, you know, when NM was still a bit of an undiscovered gem for most readers. It still had a semi-small readership. Um, and I discovered, you know, the rest of Kay's books and then other authors like Heidi Cullinan and Amy Lane, and it was so eye-opening to me as a reader. Like, there were these original stories with original characters, and I simply fell in love with the genre. You know, um, I rarely identified with a lot of the heroines in straight romance, so it was fun and unique to follow along with two heroes as they fell in love and worked together to create their happily ever after. You know, the, the power dynamics were often very, very different, and it just... I've been I've been in love with it ever since, and I think I wrote my first wrote and published my first one about a year later. And you mentioned in the bio, it's mentioned that you've also had this fascination with male friendships as well. What mm-hmm. what around the friendships connects all this together for you? I I guess it's just when I'm able to you know you've had they always there's always seems to be this cliche, especially in straight romance and. A lot of things where, you know, the man can't show emotion or he's got to be the strong one. He's got to be the one that solves all the problems. And, you know, that's, that's something that's been ingrained in our culture for, you know, for a long, long time. And I just, I really enjoy stories where they can show, you know, male relationships, you know, or bromances, if you want to say, where two men can show emotion to each other and it's not made fun of and it's not considered a weakness. Um, I mean, I don't. I've only watched a couple of episodes, but the Fox remake of the Lethal Weapon series. You know, this it's a buddy buddy bromance series, and you know these two guys they care about each other, and they're able. You know, you see that on screen, and it's not like something where they're shamed for. Oh, you can't have a best friend. You can't you know be emotional with your with your male friends. And I just really appreciate any sort of product where we can kind of see a different side of relationships like that. Mm-hmm. And as with many authors we've had on this show, you got your start uh, with publishing and fanfic. Who was your couple? Yes. My couple was Kish, uh, a.k.a. Kyle Lewis and Oliver Fish from the soap opera One Life to Live. Um, I first stumbled over their story thanks to a fan video that's on YouTube that someone posted on Twitter. And it wasn't long after this uh, this particular fan vid didn't show up long after the show had actually made history by airing the first same-sex couple love scene on daytime TV. 
And I was absolutely mesmerized by the video. And there was this beautiful song that they had written just for that scene and for that that couple. Uh, and after watching clips for hours and possibly days on YouTube, I started looking, you know, for more about these characters. And I eventually found some fan fiction forums for the couple. And I just read and read and read. And it took a few months before I was brave enough to post my own stories. But they received excellent feedback. So I kept writing. You know, I really, I really treasure that early experience because I came into the fandom right as the storyline on the soap opera was actually ending and they were writing the characters off. But Tish still had a very wonderful and supportive fandom up until, you know, the time I got too busy with my original stories and just sort of drifted away. But they, they were my, my gateway fanfic couple. And what helped spark you into going into original stories? Well, I have in the past um, been previously published under other pen names and other genres. And I was, you know, I wanted to try something new. And I was having a lot of fun writing the fan fiction. So I just kind of had one of those bubble moments where I was like, well, why not try this? You know, it might suck. It might be actually kind of good. Um, and, you know, so I had that experience writing same-sex couples with the Kish fandom. And I also had experience writing paranormal stories. So I kind of mashed them both together. And I wrote a paranormal romance novella called Prodigal that I submitted to a new at the time publisher named Musa, and it was accepted as one of their first LGBT stories, which is really exciting, of course. You know, my very first out, you know, as an MM author, and somebody bought it. So after submitting a second novella to them, I was also working on my first contemporary MM because that seemed to be you know, what more people were reading were more like the contemporaries, and that book ended up being Cost Repairs, which was my first published novel, or novel, excuse me, full-length novel. Um, and at the time, Sam Hain Publishing was like the publisher for quality and then romance. And I remember absolutely everything about the moment I read the acceptance email from them. It was like a dream come true. And it just it really fueled my drive to continue writing MM and exploring these stories in various subgenres. And it's has just been an amazing almost seven years. Do you still write in other genres under other pen names? I do a little bit, not quite as much because the bulk of my income does now come from writing um, romance. But I still kind of uh, toy a little bit, you know, with sci-fi and urban fantasy just because Mm it was one of my first loves. You're extremely prolific then. I already thought you were pretty prolific just looking at the volume of work you've had out over the last couple of years. And to know you also write under other names now, too, is is quite something. Yeah, I mean, too, you know, I can also say, like, I, 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 I do do this full time. Um, I am single. I've got two cats. So my time is basically my own. So I can, I can carve out huge chunks in a day. And I'm also a very introverted person, like... This is even just talking to you like this has got me all kinds of nervous. But I, I just I love telling stories. I, I would rather do nothing else except maybe read other people's stories. <laughs> <laughs> Are you reading anything particularly good right now? I am actually between books right now. Um, I have a, I've got so many on my Kindle, and then I've got a stack of hardcovers I bought recently. A lot of and some more new political books have come out, and I read across genres. I I read romance, I will read sci-fi, I read biographies, memoirs, history books. Like, it just kind of depends on my, depends on my mood. That's awesome. 
So besides the couple of books that we've mentioned here on the show so far, what else is coming up for you this year that uh, you can give us a preview in? Well, besides Roped In, which is a sequel to Wild Trail, which comes out on May 21st, I have a semi-busy spring so far. Um, I am republishing the two paranormal novellas that I mentioned earlier, each with a light edit and beautiful new covers by Sloan J Designs, um, and as well as self-publishing a brand new companion novella in that series. And they're all they're paranormal in that they kind of they're the world where demons exist and kind of like to prey on people, but the main characters are all humans, kind of dealing with these otherworldly nonsense. Um, And I hope to have those out sometime in February or early March. And then I also have a completed fifth perspective novel, which does not yet have a title because those titles are somewhat complicated. Um, hopefully I will have that out in April. I'm a little nervous about that one because it actually features a character that when readers first met him two years ago, they really didn't like him. So this book is a bit of a redemption. Wow. A bit of a redemption tale. Got a tongue twister. Um, and also, near the end of the year, the third Clean Slate Ranch book, Saddle Up, will release date yet to be determined. Um, other than that, I have plenty of works in progress that I will be working on. Um, I don't have any clear idea of what else will come out this year, but probably at least two, two more books that I haven't mentioned to kind of fill in the May to late fall block of time. Fantastic. Is Clean Slate looking like just a trilogy, or do you think there's more? It's hard to tell. I have a feeling this is going to come down to sales um, because, like I said, I am dealing with the publisher. Um, but I, there are definitely a few side characters that we've met along the way that I think would have very interesting stories to tell. So fingers crossed there could be a fourth or fifth book in that series. Cool. Cool. We'll keep an eye out yeah. for that, of course. And what's the best way for people to keep up with you online? The best way to keep up with me is actually on Facebook, because that's where I tend to be the most active and chatty. Uh, you can find me just under A.M. Arthur. I have an author page that has the capitalized M initial, but my personal profile, where I tend to post the most, has a lowercase m, because Facebook is weird. Um, I do have a website, but it's mostly for new releases and you know other announcements, as well as that aforementioned recommended reading order list, um, because that's very important. Um, but definitely, I think Facebook is probably the best way to keep up with what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, we'll link up to all that in our show notes uh, so everybody can go find this good stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been awesome talking to you, and uh, I think we both look forward to reading much more from you uh, in the coming year. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And can I do a quick little shout-out to Eileen? Because she's the one that I believe nominated me to be interviewed, and she's been such an amazingly <laughs> supportive reader. <laughs> Yes, I think Eileen was the first one to mention it. And then as we started talking about <laughs> that you were booked and everything, uh, several people on our Patreon page have gone, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again to A.M. Arthur for joining us here on the show. Uh, it was a genuine pleasure to speak with her this past week. Uh, we're true fans, uh, and we're looking forward to what she brings Brings us uh, in the future. Yeah, get that other get roped in out here ASAP because I'm I'm excited to to read that after hearing her talk about it. And I love her prolificness. She just she just so so busy out there writing. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
So that'll do it for this week's episode. We hope you will join us once again next week. Uh, we've got some great stuff coming up for you in episode 122. Mm-hmm. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until then, guys, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 